don't feel so good. Hello and welcome to The Poison Cast, a podcast dedicated to explaining the deadly science behind toxins, venoms, and chemicals. My name is Scott Barnett. I am a fourth-year PhD candidate in cell molecular pharmacology and physiology at the University of Nevada's School of Medicine. It is always a mouthful to say that. Very excited this week. Uh, I've been putting this one off because I wanted to make sure I did it right. Also, <laughs> I got a really nice email uh, asking me to do the poison dart frog, and I immediately said, done. It's going to be done immediately because this sounds awesome. And as it turns out, when I started looking into it, the poison dart frog kills you in pretty much the exact same way as hemlock does, with a small variation that it uses nicotinic and muscarinic receptors. But don't worry about that. But if you want to know how the poison dart frog kills you, just go listen to hemlock and replace hemlock with poison dart frog, and you are pretty much in it. In the coming weeks, we're going to cover like Botox, pufferfish, a whole bunch of other really cool stuff here, even stuff like chemotherapy, just really interesting toxins that, that get into your body here. So stay tuned. And finally, I just want to remind everyone if this is your first episode, the show is in two tiers. The first tier is for everyone, it's a background on the toxin, in this case, ricin. And it goes into the very basics about how it enters your body, how it kills you. Tier two is for the hardcore science nerds who like molecular biology and biochemistry and pharmacology. You do not have to listen to the second part if you don't want it. It gets kind of rough from a, from a scientific standpoint. So just keep that in mind. Okay, Ryerson. If you are like me, uh, until the TV show Breaking Bad came around, the term ricin didn't mean a whole lot. I mean, I knew about it peripherally. It was a, I knew it was poisonous. I know it was used to murder people sometimes. But beyond that, I really didn't know much about it. And if you watch Breaking Bad, you know it plays a really significant role in the final episode. But we'll get back to that in a little bit here. TV aside, ricin is hands down one of my favorite poisons. It, it, not to say that I have a list or anything that would be creepy, but it is a very cool poison. I like it so much because it's sheer potency and and it also has a really cool method of action that is how it kills you, both of which we're gonna discuss quite a bit on this episode. So, so as the tradition has become, let's first learn about the story behind ricin itself. Ricin is a toxin and it's found from the castor bean that grows from the plant ricin communis, if you like such fancy terms. If I were to describe how it looks with my limited imagination, I would say the castor bean kind of has the psychedelic tie-dye looking pattern, maybe some sort of weird funky beetle. Um, they should have sent a poet. What movie was that from? I don't know. I can't describe it that well, but that's basically what you're looking at there. Bottom line is that as far as the, the beans go, I would say it's a it's a pretty good looking bean. It might not be GQ quality good looking, but I think it wouldn't have a hard time getting a date. So yeah, decent looking bean. Worldwide, the market for castor oil is actually pretty large here. It's about $400 million per year in annual sales and uh, about 500,000 tons, 2 million pounds, if that that gets your that gets your heart going. Uh, it's used for a whole bunch of stuff. It's got tons of derivatives like soaps and lubricants and brake fluids and even in inks and perfumes. Uh, it, what I found well interesting is that castor oil itself is used as a food preservative in some countries. Like in India and Pakistan, it's very popular. It prevents grains from molding, so they'll add a little bit of the the castor bean to that, probably from a very small portion of the rice, and I'm guessing that's still left in there. But who knows? 
in the U.S., uh, it is used a little bit here. It falls under the term grass, and and I'm not sure if I've talked about grass before. It means generally recognized as safe, G-R-A-S, and that it means that the government hasn't found anything wrong with it that's going to cause really significant harm. Not enough research has been done to say definitively if it's going to have any problems, but they say, you know, we're not getting a lot of reports of people getting problems with this, so let's just move forward, and it's probably going to be fine, and that's what grass means. The only time I've ever seen Castor used in any method whatsoever was was in the movie Stand By Me, which is a great movie if you haven't seen it. Lardass, if you if you remember from Stand By Me, he drank castor oil just before the pie eating contest in which he vomited all over everyone. But interestingly, the laxative part is that it's it was actually such an effective tool as a laxative that the the black shirts under Mussolini in the mid twentieth century. Um, use it as an interrogation tool. They would just shove it into you, and and it would you would dehydrate and all kinds of bad stuff. So uh, the good and the bad with it there. And while castor oil may be an effective stool softener, there is another byproduct of the castor plant that plays a much more sinister role once it enters your body, and hence the reason we've gathered around this warm podcasty fire today. That of which I speak is ricin, of course. It goes back a pretty. F- decent amount of time. Uh, in 1888, a young chap, well, he's 28, I'll call him a young chap, named Peter Hermann Stielmark, he finished a doctoral thesis that was titled Uber Reisen. I always thought Uber meant super or a high level, kind of like Americans use it, douchey Americans use it. Um, but it just means about. So his, his thesis was called About Ryacin. And um, which he basically found out the beans of the castor plant contained a toxic protein, and he named it ricin, and and uh, that's where he left the story here. Now, pound for pound, or I should say microgram for microgram, it's that potent, ricin is pretty much at the top of the list when it comes to lethality. From all the literature I was able to comb, the only thing I could find that even gets close to giving it a run for its money in terms of toxicity is Clostoridum botulonum, which is... Uh, Botox, as you may know, and it's a bacteria, and there's a toxin. The Botox is what, the, 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 is, what is released from the bacteria and causes causes paralysis here. Um, side note, Botox will be an episode, and it will be a very cool episode. Okay, so probably the most famous victim of ricin poisoning out there was Georgi Markov. Oh, Markov was a playwright and a novelist whose books and plays were not well received by those in power back in his home country of Bulgaria. So in 1969, he decided it was time to beat feet. He headed over to London and he took up a job working for the BBC and and Radio Free Europe. Good for him. He managed to make it work. So after almost a decade of living fun and fancy free in England, Georgie was walking home one late summer day in 1978 when he was, heavy quotes here, accidentally jabbed in the leg by an umbrella-wielding passerby. This is London after all, so umbrellas were ubiquitous. I'm sure this is probably normal. He was accidentally jabbed in the leg. Uh, and soon after, Markov felt sick. He developed a bit of a fever, and ultimately he was taken to hospital. When he died four days later, an, autop- an autopsy found that his lungs were filled with fluid, his internal organs were dotted with these small hemorrhages, and he had an especially high white blood cell account. And all this can be accounted for with, with ricin. But what makes Georgie's story so different from the thousands of other people who die every day in hospital was that there was a little tiny platinum iridium pellet that was about one and a half millimeters in diameter. This thing was tiny. That was lodged in Markov's thigh. 
the pellet had been drilled to contain uh, two really small holes that contained about 0.2 mill that could hold about 0.2 milligrams of liquid or 200 micrograms. So just a really small amount of liquid here. The pellet contained no trace of poison when they pulled it out of him. So the doctors had figured that what had killed Markov through the presence of uh, through the process of elimination, and they figured it had to be like a nerve poison or a bacterial poison. Remember, we were just talking about the Botox and how potent it is. Maybe a plant extracts of high kind uh, were high on the list of possibilities. And when they thought about it, Markov symptoms so perfectly matched those of rhizom poisoning that they decided to do a test here. And what they did is they injected a pig with an amount that was proportional to, you know, the size Markov would have received uh, because, uh, except adjusting for the pig's weight, of course. And within hours, the pigs developed the exact same symptoms that Markov had shown. And uh, an autopsy later revealed that the pig had the same exact internal damages here. So kind of mystery solved from that point of view here. As far so one of the problems with ricin, I guess if you want to call it a problem, is that and this is what makes it scary, is that the source material is so readily available. You can go into any grocery store and get a shopping cart full of castor beans if you want. And with little technical knowledge, and I mean little, you can actually purify ricin out. And um, I say little, but on a side note, in 2013, this man named Everett uh, Dushecki, I'm going to call him Everett Dushecki, if you, you probably remember this, as the, a man sent several letters with rice and in them to members of Congress, Congress as well as President Obama. And he was only able to purify rice into about 1%, which is kind of strange uh, because considering castor beans by themselves have 1% to 5% rice and by weight, he I'm guessing he pretty much just dried the beans out chopped them up, you know, into a powder and then sent them on their merry way to these people. So he probably didn't have any really technical capabilities whatsoever, but him and he was a crazy person trying to send rice and through the mail to members of Congress and the president. So it's probably fair to say the guy's head wasn't screwed on quite properly, but in any case, it is scary that way. And while Everett Dushecki was not able to purify it and use it very well for his personal nefarious means because of its relatively high toxicity and its extreme ease of production rice and uh, which had been codenamed Compound W, was considered for weaponization by the United States during its offensive biological warfare program. The U.S. Chemical Warfare Service, they began to study ricin as a weapon near the world, end of World War One in collaboration with, with uh, Great Britain. They had essentially created a bomb that they might use for World War II that contained massive amounts of ricin. While it was developed, it was never actually used, and uh, that's kind of the last I've ever heard of it or, or heard anyone write of it, so, so that's all I know about that. Okay, so we keep talking about how lethal ricin is. It's a very lethal drug, and it's a potent, and it's going to kill you, and this and that, but just how lethal is it, really? Depending on how it gets into your system determines how much of you need to kill you. We've talked about this every show, the term LD50 before, and I'll give another five-second description if this is your first show. LD50 stands for lethal dose 50%. And what it means in a nutshell is that if you were to take 100 animals, we'll say mice or humans or whatever the case may be, line up in a row, give them all the exact same amount of the drug based on their body weight, it's the amount of that drug that would kill half those people. So half would live, half would die. And it's a general clinical term used in pharmacology and biochemistry and molecular biology to determine how much of a of the drug is going to have you're going to give someone before it's lethal here. So with ricin, you need about 1.5 grams for a 165 pound adult if you're going to if you're going to uh, ingest it. If you are to inhale or inject it, like via a needle or you inhale it into your lungs, the amount you need is 
devastatingly small. Uh, I have a picture up on our website. If you go to thepoisoncast.com and you click on this episode, you'll see the picture here. I put a, uh, at my work, I, I work in a, a molecular biology lab for, for my degree. I put a quarter on the scale, zeroed out the balance, and the amount of ricin you need if you were to inject and inhale it would be, if you imagine uh, 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 Washington's nose on a quarter or face on a quarter, it would be about, if you were to scale him up, it'd be about like a line of Coke for for cocaine if you if you, if you were to uh, snort it uh it is it is just a few grains of salt really um and and it's a it's a it's a scary 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 small amount and if we go back to the whole breaking bad thing here if you remember on the final episode uh someone was killed with rice and and the way they were killed is that someone put a they switched out the sugar in a sugar packet with ricin and that person put it into their coffee they drank it and then ultimately they died Doing my back of the envelope math here, I've determined that for a 165 pound adult, you would need 1.5 grams of ricin to kill that person. Now an average sugar packet has two to five grams of sugar in it. So this just absolutely works perfectly. Uh, the, this is not just some, some bad TV math. This, is, this would absolutely be a very good dose to kill a person. Vince Gilligan, who made uh, Breaking Bad is notorious for doing his research and he clearly did it in this case too. That, so that was very cool. And uh, People, if they're concerned about the high acidity of of the coffee, potentially knocking down the the lethality of the of of the ricin. Uh, ricin is very resistant to low pHs, so uh, it probably would have been fine too. So, very good job, Vince. Congratulations. And if you'll indulge me for a moment, I'm going to go on one small tangent here. When I was doing research for this episode. I was a little surprised to find out how many people have tried killing themselves and other people with ricin. I mean, it's not like handguns or anything, but the list goes on and on and on. And in the literature, you can just find examples riddled (laughs) with ricin attempts of murder and suicide. I found stuff like one lover tried injecting it in the thigh of their partner, and ultimately that person died. It took six days. There's cases of self-intramuscular injection, so someone's just really angry, and they injected in themselves. One guy, he was 36, he did it. He extracted one whole bean, ricin bean worth of ricin, or excuse me, castor bean worth of ricin, injected it in his leg, and he ended up, that guy survived. There was one guy who, who kind of like he was shooting up heroin like into his forearm, except he used ricin and it took him only 36 hours to die so that's an effective way to do it people are nuts man if you're not trying to be nefarious though there's actually two cases since 1930 of people accidentally dying from eating castor beans whole one was a 24 year old he ate 15 to 20 beans and then there was a 15 year old who ate 10 to 12 beans so the beans by themselves are are pretty lethal as well so that's something to keep in mind so if you are unfortunate enough to have ricin in your system what can you expect what symptoms are there while the severity of symptoms as well as the time of onset of symptoms will vary based on how it was administered, inhalation, oral, or injection, on the average, the symptoms begin four to six hours after you are exposed to the rice and toxin. If you don't want to be suspected of killing someone, this is actually rather convenient because it's enough time will have passed for the victim to be far away and probably not thinking that you're the person who did anything because uh, assuming you didn't jab them with an umbrella and, and cause severe pain in their leg, but generally it, that'd probably be a good, a pretty good way to, to off someone. Now to understand why the four to six hour incubation makes perfect sense, I'm going to depart from the symptoms for just one second and tell you how ricin will kill you once it gets in your body. 
Ricin is known as a ribosome. Ricin is known as a ribosome inactivating protein, which I find kind of hilarious in a morbid way because if you think of a ribosome inactivating protein, that's RIP, rest in peace, you know. <laughs> I don't know who came up with that term, but it's hilarious. Um, ricin itself is also a protein. It's made by the plant. It's a biological product of the castor bean's DNA. Now, I couldn't find exactly what role the castor uh, plant uses the ricin for, whether it's defensive um, or, or something else, but it suffices to say that it probably has some role in the plant survival. And uh, I also know that it's stored, when it's in the plant, it's actually in, stored in, in this matrix, uh, probably to prevent it from killing the plant. So, so, so it's got that going for it. So what is it gonna do when it gets in your body? Ricin, it's composed of two different chains. They're called an A, B, an A chain and a B chain. Don't worry, we're not gonna get too technical here. An A chain, uh, it breaks off from the B chain and it enters the cell. Uh, what the A chain of ricin does is that it binds to and inactivates your ribosomes. So what's this ribosome you speak of, Scott? Some of you will be very clear with what a ribosome is, but those of you who don't, I'll give you a brief uh, explanation of what a ribosome is. The ribosome is quite simply one of the most important machines in your entire cell. Imagine your DNA is a cookbook with all the recipes it needs to make a big giant feast or a human being. But what are you going to say? It's a recipe book that wants to make, you want to make a big dinner. The cookbook is in German, your DNA is in German, and we all speak English here. We need the book to be in English. So if the DNA is a German version of the cookbook, RNA is the English version. It essentially says the exact same thing as the German version, but it was translated or transcribed, if we're gonna be technical, into English. So you have your German DNA translated into your English RNA, and now what happens at this point? Now that we have the translated version of the cookbook, we need to make all the recipes that are in that book. These are your genes, right? Uh, your ribosome is the machine that takes that recipe and spits out dinner. It's the oven, the blender, the microwave, the Cuisinart, etc., all rolled into one product. Recipes go into the ribosome and dinner, which are proteins, come out of the ribosome. Without the ribosome, no proteins are made and you die. Ricin is really a big wrench that sticks itself into the machinery of the ribosome and it just stops it in its track. It is a diabolically simple and unbelievably efficient way to take out a cell. And once the cell dies, the ricin can be recycled and it can be used in new cells to kill them too and the cycle just goes on and on. So back to this delay. So why does it take four to six hours after the onset or after you ingest the ricin for the onset of symptoms. There's a couple reasons here. Um, once ricin binds to the cell, it takes a couple hours for it to work its way to the inside portion of the cell. It's like an ax murderer taking a breather at the doorstep before it decides to kick in the door. There's also the fact, and this is really interesting, that most proteins in your body are recycled pretty regularly. And somewhere between two and 12 hours, a lot of your proteins that are already existing in your cell are going to be recycled. They're gonna be chewed up and your body is gonna tell yourself to make those proteins again, to make sure they're fresh and nothing's damaged and, and they just keep doing their thing. The ricin, the, uh, the ricin stops your ribosome from working pretty much instantly, instantly, but it takes a while for your cells to be like, hey, I've used up these old proteins I have, go ahead and get me some new ones here. And when it can't find the new ones to replace the old ones because the ribosome stopped working, the cell begins to get sick and it eventually dies. Multiply this by a few billion times and the entire organism, AKA you, decides it's time to get 
to get, call it quits and, and that's it here. Okay, so back to the symptoms. Let's use Markov as an example because his symptoms are actually well documented. In his case, uh, he began having a feeling of weakness within about five hours. 15 to 24 hours-ish later, he had a high temperature, nausea, vomiting, kind of all flu-like symptoms. 36 hours after the, inc after the incident, he was admitted to the hospital and he was feeling very ill at this point. He had fever, tachycardia, which is your heart not beating properly. And just two days after the attack, 48 hours, he became sudden, uh, he came, became very hypotensive, which is a, a big drop in your blood pressure. He got the return of the tachycardia. His heart wasn't working properly. His pulse was 160 beats per minute. He had a, he had vascular collapse, which means that his blood pressure dropped through the floor. And uh, early under the third day, he died of heart failure. What's interesting is at the time of death, his blood, his white blood cell count was uh, was thirty three thousand two hundred per millimeter squared or cubed, uh, which is a just to give you a, a reference point here. A normal person walking around who's not sick will have about five to ten thousand per millimeter cubed. So he had what is that? Somewhere between three and six times the normal amount of white blood cells, which is a whole bunch here. And if you remember, ricin is a protein. Your body is basically trying to fight. The rice and like it would a, an infection, a virus, or a um, or a bacteria or something. It just sees it as something foreign and is trying to kill it. That's why you have this huge increase in white blood cells here. So, generally, when you have rice and poisoning, you're going to die uh, of a heart attack, which is the result of this uh, this A chain, and they call it A chain related vascular leak syndrome, which which means that. Um, your body makes something called uh, albumin, which uh, which is really important in your plasma, uh, in, in your blood, essentially, to keep you going here. And, and albumin is a protein as well. And when you can't maintain that protein, uh, it causes leakage of your blood vessels and all kinds of problems. Your heart has to work really hard, and, and you end up dying here. High doses via inhalation, too. It's pretty much a worst case scenario. If someone were to blow some of this in your face, it's 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 pretty nasty here because primarily what's going to happen is all of that ricin goes into your lungs, and it causes uh, hypoxemia, uh, hypoxemia, and you get this massive pulmonary uh, edema and alveolar flooding, which means that all those cells in your lungs they they take the brunt of the force here, and they all start leaking and dying in the cells, and you you drown in your own lung fluid. Uh, that's a that's a pretty <laughs> Nasty way, to, nasty way to go. But that's not the only way. I mean, it pretty much attacks everything in your body here. Ingestion can cause gastrointestinal signs. of, uh, and You can get gastrointestinal hemorrhage. You can get necrosis of the liver, spleen, kidneys. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. At this point, you have rice and poisoning. We know we have a couple days to take care of it. Is there anything we can do? Uh, believe it or not, uh, there are some options. Um, it's not It's not. Not all is lost, depending on the on the situation here. So, if you remember earlier on, we were talking about that W bomb, the W bomb. The government was going to potentially use ricin as a way to kill people. It's not very smart to make a biological weapon that can kill tons of people unless you have an antidote yourself, and that's exactly what they did. The government created an antibody, and uh, it's extremely effective uh, against. The, um, against the the virus here, you can inject people with the antibody before they get injected. I should say that, or before they get uh, exposed to the ricin, and your body will develop an immune response. And at the end of the day, if you do get exposed to ricin, your body will have a very good chance of fighting it off, uh, and you won't die here. So there is there is that option. 
interestingly, it can also be used to treat cancer. Um, if you think about how cancer works, uh, cancer is just uncontrolled cell division. Uh, you have a, a mass of cells that have a signal that says we're just going to keep dividing and dividing and dividing and get these big masses. And if you get them in a, in a tissue that's important, like a liver or a lung or a brain, they grow and they end up killing that organ and then you ultimately end up dying. Ricin's been known since 1951 to inhibit tumor growth because if you're killing those tumor cells, that's great. The question is, is how are we going to get it just to the tumor cells? And that's a question for, for biochemists, but, but it has the potential to be used for cancer treatment. Another cool thing, uh, and, and I wouldn't suggest this, but I guess if you're dying, it's a better chance than nothing. Black tea has been shown to inactivate ricin. Uh, the principal component of black tea, which is EGCC, it's got a very long name. I'm not even going to try to butcher, but it can neutralize ricin. And uh, the the person who discovers, they said one cup won't do it, but it, at high enough concentrations, you would actually be able to stop ricin poisoning with black tea here. So I imagine concentrate it, pound it as much as you can, and, and you might have some hope there. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and take this first part home here. The takeaway is ricin is terrifying. It's not a little ter terrifying. It's super terrifying. And unlike hemlock, which we talked about last last episode, it has a nasty smell and it's rendered ineffective when it's heated. Ricin, on the other hand, is pretty heat resistant. It has no odor whatsoever. And you don't need very much to kill someone. So on a scale of the scary toxins, I would definitely put this bad boy pretty much near the top. Okay, we are now going to move on to tier two which is the nitty gritty science bit. I hope you stick around. I hope you want to learn more about ricin, but if you don't, feel free to turn off the show right now before the eye glazed juice emitting gland starts going into overdrive on you. But I do want to say one last thing before you go. Um, I can't decide what to do next as far as the next episode. I either want to do Botox or the Pufferfish. I guarantee you both are actually really cool poisons. If you have any strong thoughts on the matter, please go to Twitter. We are at PoisonCast on Twitter. Or you can send me an email. It's info at thepoisoncast.com. Or just go to the website, thepoisoncast.com, and you can fill out a little form there. So uh, certainly, certainly appreciate it. And, of course, the very last thing I'm going to say is please go on iTunes. Please rate us. It will really help us in the, the ratings, and it will help us um, move forward so more people can discover us because it's a lot of work to put these together. And I would appreciate it as a human being. End scene. Tier 2. Okay, I'm going to be flat out honest here and say that a lot of what I got here is from an, a wonderful, wonderful book on on uh, on toxins and poisons in general called Medical Aspects of Chemical and Biological Warfare. There's a whole chapter dedicated to rice, and it's called Chapter 32, uh, and, and I, I highly recommend you look at it. You can actually get it free if you do a Google search for, for that book title here. Okay. A little bit more about ricin. Ricin is a 66 kilodalton. It's a globular protein that makes up about one to five percent uh, by weight of the of the bean of the castor plant. It is a heterodimer, and it consists of this. And we've mentioned this briefly briefly before. It consists of a 32 kilodalton A chain, and it's disulfide bonded to a 32 kilodalton B chain. Uh, when I saw this and I read about this, it immediately, it immediately made me think of insulin. Insulin has two chains. Insulin is bound by two disulfide bridges, but this is by one. But it's very interesting that you have the same basic structure here. Um, the toxin itself is stored in the matrix of the castor bean together with this 120,000 kilodalton uh, lectin kind of binding unit here to, to probably to stop the, the ricin from killing the, the plant. 
As with most poisons, it has a varying level of toxicity based on the target organism. For instance, chickens and frogs are not very sensitive at all to it, but horses are hugely sensitive to it, even way more than humans are. And uh, the toxicity of ricin also varies with the the route of the challenges, they say. So in laboratory mice, uh, the approximate dose, uh, the approximate LD50 was 3 to 5 micrograms per kilogram over a 60-hour period, and inhalation was as low as 5 micrograms per kilogram. So super, super, super toxic here. And I had mentioned that there's an A chain and a B chain. The B chain has lectin properties that allows it to bind to uh, galactosides on the cell surface of carbohydrates on your cells, while the A chain is the enzymatic one. The A chain is what's doing the, the major damage once it gets into the cell here. The binding of the B chain to these glycoside residues on the glycoproteins and the glycolipids on the, on the surface of the cell here, they trigger endocytotic uptake of the protein. The ryacin holotoxin can then be taken up by a clathrin-coated pits, which, which is what I was much more familiar with previously, as well as these independent pathways such as caviolet and macropenocytosis. You know, macropenocytosis means cell drinking. It's actually taking in fluid into the cell, and they can get in via that pathway too. Once they're in, ryacin molecules are thought to follow a retrograde transport via these endosomes to the, um, the trans-Golgi network, and then the Golgi enters the lumen of the endoplasmic reticulum. The Act, uh, the active acidification of these endosomes, which we're familiar with, they're, they're normally there to break down whatever enzymes or products they have in them uh, so that they're rendered useless. It actually has little or no effect on the functional properties of the ryacin. And because uh, the ryacin is stable over a wide pH range, the degradation of the endosomes and lysosomes has little or no effect on the ryacin whatsoever. Now, once in the cytoplasm of a eukaryotic cell, the A-chain enzymatically attacks the 28S ribosomal subunit. Now, most of us are familiar with the 40S and the 18S, but there's also a 28S as well in, in eukaryotes. Uh, fun side note, the S stands for Svedberg unit, excuse me, Svedberg, um, which has to do with the sedimentation process. This is how the, these, these subunits were initially found here uh, based on uh, centrifugation. So... Uh, activity. I love KCATs. KCATs are great. Uh, that tells you how many, how active an enzyme is or how many uh, product turnovers it can do over unit time here. And ricin is not too crazy. Uh, it can do 1,500 uh, enzymatic activity turnovers per minute. So it can take 1,500 ribosomes per minute and kill them. If you take something, one of the fastest enzymes on the planet that has the highest KCATs, carbonic anhydrase, that can do 1 million to give you an idea. So it's like 700 times as slow as a really, really, really fast um, enzyme like like carbonic anhydrase. So uh, when it actually binds to this 20 ribosomal subunit, it, it's binding to an uh, adenine residue, and this is it attacks adenine residues specifically. Uh, A4324 is the actual residue if you're, you're interested in that sort of thing. It's near the 3 prime end. For ricin to function cytotoxically, the A chain must be reductively cleaved from the B chain in order to release the steric block of the of this A chain active site here, the process is catalyzed by by a PDI, a protein uh, disulfide isomerase, and um, this resides in the lumen of the ER. If we go back to that to that ER portion here, and remember PDIs, uh, these help create uh, disulfide bonds here, and this free A chain in the in the ER here partially unfolds. And it buries itself into the membrane of the ER here, which is which is common for proteins to do. Because it's slightly misfolded, this is recognized by the cell, 
And the endoplasmic reticulum associated protein degradation pathway, the ERAD pathway, if you remember that, um, this normally will get rid of these misfolded proteins, including the ryosin via ubiquitination. If you remember, once a protein is ubiquinated, it is marked for destruction by the system, by the cell, and is going to be chewed up and, and gotten rid of. But this A chain avoid ubiquitination that usually degrades the system here. And the primary reason is because it, uh, it has a very low lysine residue count, which are normally the attachments of the for ubiquitination. So it's misfolded. It's marked for it, it should be marked for destruction. The cell tries to mark it for destruction, but because of the low lysine count in the protein, uh, there the 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 it is it can't be ubiquitinated in, in other words here. So that is all a very very fancy way, perhaps needlessly fancy way of saying that ricin stops the ribosome from working, ergo no more proteins are made, and ultimately cell death. I think I'm going to put a bow on it. There's some more stuff I can talk about, but frankly I don't find it that interesting, so I won't. <laughs> Hopefully you know a little bit more about how ricin is going to kill you. I mean, it really is as its name suggests, a ribosome inactivating protein, and it's going to bind to your 28S ribosomal unit at an adenine. It's going to prevent that ribosome from translating uh, mRNA, and uh, you're eventually going to die from it. So, with that, I'm going to say goodbye. And thank you so much for listening. Please, please rate us. All that fun stuff I just mentioned before, it means a lot to me. And uh, we will see you for the next episode. Yay!